Wow, what a great reminder that was that this thing called the Christian life can be really messy because it gets right down in there where we live and where our heart beats and reveals how distant our heart may be from the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Take your Bibles and go there with me this morning. Um, Wow. You ever have one of those days? I'm having one of those years. Um, You know, uh, there is a saying. This uh, comes from a guy that uh, his name is Doug Larson. I don't know if he knows what he's talking about or not. I like what he says. Wisdom is the reward that you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. One more time, because I know halfway through you thought, what was he saying? Doug Larson says that wisdom is the reward that you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, in the early phase, most of us have heard and seen images from the Hubble telescope, the one that was put out in orbit and it shoots pictures out into, uh, into the universe. And, you know, we've seen the pictures and the great stirring kind of thing that we've seen coming off of that, those graphic images. But uh, in the early days, that was not such a great accomplishment of NASA and our scientists around. And as a matter of fact, there was some serious discussion about whether the money had been squandered that it took for the research to get it up and all of that kind of stuff. Not long after that, according to Reader's Digest, the March 1993 um, uh, edition of that, one of the guys who was with NASA and was involved in that early days of the Hubble telescope fiasco became a, before it became a great success, uh, he was asked to give a presentation about what NASA had learned from the fiasco that was the Hubble telescope. And in his presentation, the first slide that he showed said this. In naming your mission... Never use a word that rhymes with trouble. Now, that's a great example of we should have thought about it and should have listened before we pulled the trigger on this thing. Now, I use that as a way to kind of slide into this this morning because most of us kind of suffer from the same problem. We prefer to speak when maybe it's better to listen. I want to take that whole thing, I want to set it off to the side, and we're going to revisit that in just a moment. But I want to come back and justify why I said it's been one of those years for me today. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about situations, situational awareness, and particularly when the situations of your life are not all that great. You see, I would have expected that when I, as the pastor, come to preach a message like this, that I should be above having to pay the price of the stuff that I'm going to be preaching about, right? In other words, I, should ju- I shouldn't have to live with the situations that you're living with because I'm here to give you the answers. So I wake up this morning, and I'm leaving. Actually, I got up about 3 or 3.15, something like that, and I was praying for each of you by name. No, I wasn't. Um, and I get in my car to come to church this morning. The early service starts at 8.30, and so I get in my car to head on, and I turn the ignition, and you know what I get? Heartache, nothing but heartache. So I have to run back in and steal my wife's car so that I can get to work on time. And, uh, you know, that was just kind of how the day started today. 
but I really am smart enough to know that that's a pretty simple problem to have to start the day. Matter of fact, as I was thinking about this message and kind of working through some of the stuff that comes with a pastor getting a message ready, I was kind of surveying our church family and thinking about some of the issues that are going on, some of the problems that some of us are facing. We have all kinds of stuff represented in our church family life at any given moment. Matter of fact, you get a uh, bulletin every Sunday when you come in, and many Sundays, maybe most Sundays, there's a prayer list that's inserted into that. And whether you realize it or not, we do that because we have people in our church family that really need us to pray for them. And so I take that every once in a while, I just kind of work through it and start praying through it. And I'm gripped by how life can take its toll on us as a people. With that in mind, I want you to go with me to this message. We start in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and we're going to read the first couple of verses. Well, the only two that are referenced here, and I'm going to read some more before it's all said and done. Verses 16 and 17 here give us a point of reference as we begin. He says this, the preacher does, When I applied my heart to know wisdom... And to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. In other words, I'm going to interrupt the reading for a second and say what he's saying is I've taken this search that I've been on. We've seen him in various places as he looked for meaning in life and fulfillment in life and power. And certainly Solomon would be one that uh, for the Jews of his day and even beyond that represented power on a world scale for them. And he said, I didn't find what I was looking for then. And I looked to wealth. And we've kind of worked our way through some of what he said there. And clearly he's the richest perhaps of all of the kings of Israel as a amassed wealth and influence in the world. And he said, I went through all of that. I didn't find what I was looking for. And so now we find him in verse 16 as he turns the focus a little bit and the searchlight moves to another area of his life. And he says, I started looking around me and I started searching for wisdom and for understanding." There's a, so back to verse 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. And even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And you're probably sitting there, if you're reading very carefully, you're asking yourself, what does that have to do with the problems that we face and the preacher's car not starting before church? And that's a great question if that's the one you asked. I want to put three thoughts before you this morning for us to kind of work through as we find it emerging in these two verses. Here's the first one. Life situations can take us to the end of ourselves. I feel like I need to kind of explain that a little bit because it's really kind of contrary, at least on the surface, it's kind of contrary to the way we practically live out our lives. That's what I said when I got up here. This Christian life is a real messy affair for us uh, because we say we believe one thing, but we often do something else. Life situations can take us to the end of ourselves. I want you to go back in your mind to that prayer list that I just talked about. Now, we do that the old school way here, our prayer list. 
That is, people pick up the phone, or maybe they kind of knew new school, sort of. They take email, and uh, they'll send a request in. And we have secretaries who field these calls and translate that information onto printed matter. It's amazing the kind of requests that we get that come through the office. It's amazing because life is pretty complex, and we find all kinds of problems, financial issues and Relationship issues and some spiritual issues make their way through those things. But most of the time, the stuff that makes our prayer list that we tend to print up and send out are health-related issues. Nowhere, I guess, do we see that more regularly that we come to the end of ourselves than in health condition challenges in our lives. Now, the modern way... The, the little more savvy way of these things called prayer requests is you just post it on Facebook. By the way, I just as a public service to you, let me remind you that when you post something on Facebook, everybody sees it. So when you put something on there that has to do with a prayer request, then lots of people are going to see that. Now, I, I know that that seems a little bit ridiculous for me to even highlight that, but I'm amazed at some of the stuff that I see. Not only am I amazed by what I see, I'm amazed at some of the people I see it come from. You know, I went to high school. I, I say that to you just so you know I, I went. I even finished. Um, and some of the people that are Facebook friends for me are people that I went to high school with. And I'll promise you, if when I was 17, 18 years old, had to make any kind of a wager that those people even knew that there was a God in heaven, I would have never won that wager. And they can't believe that I do what I do today either, so it's kind of even ground there. But I see a lot of people, especially people that I went to school with or people that I've gone to church with in various contexts who use Facebook as a way to put a request out that says, hey, okay, now I'm going to change the language a little bit. Because a request says what the request says. But in light of what I'm trying to emphasize here in this first big idea for you, what we essentially are saying with a prayer request, whether it's on a prayer list or on a Facebook thing or a face-to-face encounter, when I say pray for me, what I'm saying is I have found the end of myself here and I need God to get involved in it. But you see, there's part of my problem. Maybe it's part of our problem. Often what we seem to communicate is not so much that I need God in on my problem as much as the prayer request is a great way for me to get you in on my problem. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it in just a moment. But let's kind of come back here to what he's saying. Back to verses 16 and 17. I'm not going to read them again right now. But if you were reading through that with me and you're asking, how does that all fit? The answer is, it really starts in verse 1 of chapter 8. Now, I'm not going to go through and read the whole chapter here. I'll let you do that on your own time. But what we find in verses 16 and 17 is kind of one of those statements where he's pulling it together. It's a concluding kind of a statement. And he draws some inferences from what he said. So let's do go back and read just a couple of verses to pull it together. Verses 14 and 15, here's what he writes. There is a vanity, and remember the terminology that he's using for us here. Vanity is emptiness or meaninglessness. And he says several times through the course of this particular book of the Bible, vanity, it's all vanity. There's nothing that seems to make sense. 
There is a vanity that takes place on earth. And here's what it is. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. Let me put that in English ease for you. In Southeast Texas ease for us. He's saying, as i done this search and as I look around me, what I see doesn't seem to make sense. And that is that the righteous people, the godly people, are having to pay the price that you would expect the wicked people to pay. Let me put it right down on the bottom shelf where we all live. Of all people to have car trouble on Sunday, it shouldn't be the preacher. I thought I'd get a lot of amens on that, but I didn't hear too much. That's what he's saying. And I'll twist it again for us so that we make sure that we're all on the same page here as we see what he's driving at. It's that time, it's it's the question that comes to us from various circles in life, usually when there's a tragedy, why does good, why does bad stuff happen to good people? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I've done this survey and I see that bad stuff happens to the people that are righteous. In other words, it just doesn't make sense. And let me keep reading. Same verse, second part of it now. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. You know what that means? It's just the opposite. The people that you would expect God to hammer are getting the royal treatment. That's why that knothead that you work with got the raise and you didn't. This is the part of life that a lot of Christian people really struggle with, especially those who buy into that name it, claim it, prosperity gospel garbage that's out there that says, well, if I'll just trust God that everything's going to be wonderful for me. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't see it that way. By the way, neither does anybody else who's really awake and looking at life. doesn't seem to make sense. So he draws a conclusion last Little phrase of verse 14, I said that this also is vanity. It just doesn't make sense. Verse 15, and I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun to eat or to do but to eat and drink and be joyful. Did you catch that? So his conclusion is if all that other stuff is happening, then really what we're stuck with is eat, drink, and be merry. I'll add the New Testament version of that, for tomorrow we die. Just live it up because it doesn't make sense anyway. I'm going to go somewhere with this in just a second. I want to make sure that this is hanging well in the forefront of your thinking. There is that stuff in life that moves us past the inch-deep religiosity that many people want to buy into. And it threatens our very level of thinking about what the Christian life is supposed to be all about. That's why these ladies quoting the book of James said, Consider it all joy, brothers, when you fall into different kinds of trials. That doesn't fit. That does not compute for many Christian people. Consider it joy. This hurts. I'll get to that in just a second. So what we find now is verses 16 and 17 are the conclusions that come off of that. 
And so one more time, I'll go back to those two verses. When I applied my heart to know wisdom in light of all of this other stuff, I need to understand, he says, and and to see the business that is done on earth. We just talked about that, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the works of God. Before we start pulling that apart, let's step back for just a second. And let's make sure that verses 13 and 14 sink in really well for us. How do you handle the difficult times of your life? Those situations that maybe you brought in here with you today. Remember this first big idea that I dangle out there for you is that life situations take us to the end of ourselves. Where is that for you today? What are those things or that thing that is foremost in your thinking today that pushes you to the point of saying, I can't handle this. I need God to get in on this or you to get in on this or surely somewhere there's a book that somebody wrote about this. How do you deal with those things? My experience as a pastor and as a pastoral counselor is that we tend to take those situations and we pull them in and we internalize them primarily. And we get some pretty negative responses typically. One of the things that just kind of surfaces over and over again from Christian people as they try to deal with the things in their life that don't really make sense to them is despair. I, uh, I'm intrigued with the questions and the conversations that are occurring in Christendom these days. The world situation being what it is. Where are we thinking and what are we thinking about? And one of the things that seems to come about pretty regularly is this idea of hopelessness. It's just, we should just all be in total desperation because, well, what are we going to do? I I was not, I I guess it was a a very difficult thing for me to see this morning. As I told you, I was up pretty early, 3 o'clock, 3.15, thereabouts, flipped on the news uh, because something might have happened in the last four hours before I, since I watched it last and flipped it on and saw the crawler across the bottom of the screen that announced that the son of one of our premier Baptist pastors in the United States took his own life yesterday. Maybe that hits home for me because I'm a pastor and I have sons one of whom is about the age of the one who passed away. None of us, I'll say it a different way, all of us are touched either directly or indirectly by people who are so filled with despair that the only solution seems to be to check out. Christians are not immune from that. Happens on a regular basis. How do you handle the things in your life that push you beyond yourself, beyond all of your abilities to gather resources and pull stuff together? When you finally get to the end of yourself, how do you handle that? Some people just fall into despair. Some people fall into disillusionment. And we have people who come and join our churches almost as quickly as people walk out the back doors never to come back. Because somewhere, something about what's been going on just doesn't seem to fit. I was deeply disturbed as I was reading 
one of the books by Craig Barnes. He's a uh, pastor. I think maybe he's the new uh, president of Princeton Theological Seminary. I'm not sure about that. But uh, he's one of these high-profile, heavy preachers, theologians in our day. Lots of influence, pastored the uh, Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and you know one of those power preachers where lots of powerful people came and sat under his preaching week in and week out. And he told the story in this book about his dad, who also had been a pastor. But somewhere in the process of his life and his ministry, this pastor decided that he would just check out. And so he checked out on God and he checked out on his family and he checked out on the world. And his family didn't hear from him for decades until finally Barnes got a call. And he and his brother had to go down to a remote RV trailer park down in Florida where they found that his dad had been living in one of these really small RV type pull-along trailers Uh, And he lived out his days in desperation, totally alienated from the whole world. All he had left was a box full of stuff, not even family contact. Don't think that couldn't be you. None of us are above the possibility of making a choice to check out on life. So we've got to understand that the reality is, like the preacher saw here, like we see in our time, we're all going to get pushed beyond ourselves at some time to the end of ourselves. And when we get there, our response is critical to what we do then. How you get to that is one thing. How you respond when you're there is another thing totally. So here's the second big idea. And let's throw this one out. The first one is life situations can take us to the end of ourselves. This one now says, at the end of ourselves, a search begins. I I like this story. It comes from Socrates. It's one of those that uh, has been told through the years. And, you know, how much truth is in it, we don't exactly know. It makes a great point, so I'll share it with you. Most of us know Socrates, one of those big thinking kind of guys, big brain dudes, you know. Uh, And... uh, philosopher and all of those kind of things. And, uh, and as was the case then and is the case now, those kind of guys got followers and disciples who would follow them around. And this guy showed up in Socrates' life one day and he said, hey, Socrates, I, 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 want, I want wisdom. And Socrates said, excuse me? And the guy said it again, I want wisdom, I want knowledge, I want understanding. And Socrates said, come follow me. So he starts walking through the streets of town. They go out to the beach and they walk out into the water about shoulder height And Socrates gets him out there and he says, now tell me again what you want. And the guy says, I want wisdom. Socrates grabs him by the shoulders and he thrusts him under the water and holds him there for about 30 seconds. The guy comes up. Socrates looks at him and he says, what did you say you want? He says, I want wisdom. I want knowledge. Socrates grabs him, throws him right back underwater and holds him down for about 45 seconds this time. Just when the guy's about to lose it, Socrates lets him up and he says, tell me again what you want. He says, I want wisdom. Socrates grabs him, throws him underwater and holds him down now for about a minute. It's long enough that the guy starts thrashing under the water and fighting for himself. And so Socrates lets him go and he comes up and looks him in the face and says, what is it that you want? He said, I want oxygen. I need air. To which Socrates wisely said, when you desire wisdom, as you desire oxygen, then you will find it. Let that sink in for us. Because the reality that I have observed in our time is that so often 
in this being pushed to the end of ourselves and our search begins, we so often search for the wrong thing in the wrong place. And we got to get that part of it right. I've made reference to this already. The preacher in this passage of Scripture is turning his focus to a brand new search. It's really not a brand new one for him. It just moves into the search, I mean, uh, to the spotlight again for him because he's been systematically working his way through and I'm looking for this and it didn't, I didn't get what I needed. And so I looked over here and I didn't get what I needed. So he comes back to this search for wisdom. It's the new search of the day, but it's not a new way for him. Look again at the words in verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom. I applied my heart. It's one of those statements that grabs him at the deepest level. He said, I'm invested in this search. That's not new information for us about him. He said the same thing in verse 9. said the same thing in chapter 1 and verse 13. And as we work our way through this whole book, he is invested in this search. So what are you invested in in your life? A great question for us when we get right down to it is, where are you applying your heart? Is it the next big business venture? Are you invested in applying your heart to try to find meaning and purpose in life and making a name for yourself or maybe your children, expecting them to somehow live to a point that they can make you feel like you're worth something? You need to be a star to be somebody? Do you need to perform on life stage? Are you looking for your second million to identify who you are? One of the ways to answer those questions is to say, well, where am I focusing my heart today? At the end of our search, excuse me, at the end of ourselves, a search begins. We come to this part of it, and this is a little disturbing for me. We have to make sure that our search is properly focused. Because if we get our focus wrong, then the end product is going to be wrong. Here's how that plays out for us. Let me go back to the pain stuff of living. Whatever it is that you brought in here with you today that tends to assault you at the point of being uncomfortable, taking you to the end of yourself, what we tend to find in those kind of times uh, is an erroneously focused search. I said this way. Americans, oh, that's too broad. Let's just bring it down to Southeast Texans. We hate pain. Is that true? All right, I'd be a little worried about you if you said, no, that's not true. I love pain. You're sick, okay? I got some friends here, counselors, they'll help you with that, okay? But I don't want to miss the point of this either. Here's a little homework assignment for you. When we get through here, we're going to go to lunch, most of you, most, most of us, someplace, not together. Don't come to my house today. But just that in itself is not a bad way for me to get the point across. We're going to go to lunch. Now, the question would be, why are we going to go to lunch? And the obvious answer is, well, because it's noon. We always eat lunch at noon. Whether I'm hungry or not, it's time to eat. Now, that's why I adopted one of my friends years ago, said, I'm on a two-hour feeding schedule, so every two hours, it's time to eat, whether I'm hungry or not. That's Americans, by the way. 
So either we're going to go because it's just time to eat or, as one of our teenagers clutched it for us just now, we go because we're hungry. In other words, there's a pain, maybe it's a minor pain, but there's a pain somewhere inside of us that says, you need to fix this. So we go eat on it for a while. So on your way to lunch, whatever your reason for going to lunch is, stop off at one of the pharmacies in town. We got a CVS over here. We got a Walgreens over there. You got a Walmart. Now, I don't want you to go into the section of those drugstores, pharmacies, where they sell stuff that you can get on TV that nobody wants. You know, the Chia Pets and stuff like that. Uh, I want you to go to the actual medicine part, the over the counter medications. We have medicine for any pain you can imagine. You got a headache? Some of you going, oh, I didn't before you got up to preach, but it's pretty bad right now. You got a headache? What do we do with that? Take take some Tylenol or something like that. Why don't you just live with the headache? I don't have to because I got medicine for that. All right? How about you got a stomach ache? You need to take something for that. All right? So they have medicines for you. Why? Because we don't like the pain of a stomach ache. What if you got a back problem or, you know, your shoulder's been acting up? So now they got these patches that they claim to have some kind of medicine or something in them. And so you just slap it on there and walk around with your medicine. You go look in the medicine parts of our pharmacies and you will find that American people hate pain. And we'll spend money to avoid it. The problem with that is that it begins to infiltrate into our spiritual thinking. Take you back to those prayer requests that we get in the office. I'll just pull back the covers a little bit so you can see how I think. Not that it matters to you. When those prayer requests come in, many times I read the request and I think to myself, Am I right? You want me to pray that God would remove something that he might very well have done a miracle to put into your life to teach you something about him. We hate pain. And so when it comes to these times in our lives, when things come into our lives that push us beyond ourselves, it might just be that God allowed that into your life so that you might be at the end of yourself so that your search could lead you to him. But we medicate. One of the Satan and this, okay, this is where I get in trouble, okay? So I'll just give you a heads up so I can be in lots of trouble if I'm going to say it. One of Satan's greatest victories with Christian people of our day is Christian bookstores. Because if he can get us reading what somebody else said about something instead of what God says about something, he's removed us once from our ultimate source. Now, you go to my office, I got lots of books, okay? So I'm not down on books. But I am down on us so wanting relief that we look away from the source and we look in the wrong spot for help. Make sure your search is appropriately focused. And that leads me to the last big idea. I'm going to skip one of the slides there, Spencer. The last big idea, and I mentioned I'm going to be done. 
at the end of our search is God. You know, we like searches. We even have a new name for doing a search on the internet. Google it. And so you go Googling all the time. It's an interesting thing to me that we've taken a proper noun and we've made it a verb, if my grammar is correct and all of that. It's such a big part of who we are and what we do that we just pull it over and so it fits in another part of our whole lives. And we love to get information and we need it fast. And so we go to the internet, boom, 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 there it is. We were talking with some other church members the other day and there's a whole other website. I'd never heard anything about it. It tells you everything you want to know about everything. I got to know that spot. You know, sometimes God delays in the information sharing. And so sometimes the struggles that we're going through don't get that immediate answer. And because we don't like pain, if we don't get a pretty quick answer from it, if if our Google doesn't come through spiritually pretty quickly, then we're off on something else and maybe I'll find it over there. And we join the preacher of Ecclesiastes looking all over the place for ultimately what should end with God. A good point of reference for you is God didn't bring you this far to abandon you now. So in your search, by the way, I want you to look real quickly at verse 17. Notice what he says. In his search, in his search for wisdom, I love the way he says that. I'll put it in my own words as we come to it. He says, first of all, I saw God's handiwork. And then you know what he sees after that? I found that man is incapable of fully grasping God's handiwork. (laughs) In other words, I see the hand of God in my situation. I just don't understand what he's doing. You know what? Perfect conclusion. If you see God's handiwork, you don't have to understand what he's doing. You just submit. But you see, there's that messy Christian life again. There's that sorry dog James over in the New Testament who tries to get us to come to the point where we can abandon ourselves to a God knowing that he loves us even though we don't understand what we're going through. So instead we take another spiritual pill. This placebo Bible study class or that placebo preacher or anything that Satan can get us to get our focus off of the Father. Bow your heads with me, if you will, so we close. First question for you is what's going on in your life? Can you see the handiwork of God in your life now, even if that handiwork seems to be negative on the surface? Maybe it's a relationship problem that can't seem to get right. Maybe it's a health issue that... (laughs) Leaves you wondering, searching, how bad is this going to get? Maybe it's a financial issue. You know, income tax season is right around the corner. Uncle Sam's fixing to get his, even if it hurts you. What is your situation today? And the best question I can teach you to ask in those times is, where's God in this? And I'll promise you, he's somewhere in that. 
And so we look and we search for wisdom and ultimately it leaves us at the throne of God and we have to choose, will I trust him or not? If you're here today and that search and you know that you're standing at a crossroads in your life and right now you have to make a choice, what am I going to do with this God stuff? That's not what you came in here to think about and somehow it can't, you cannot escape that question. Where is God in all of this? He knocks at the door of your heart and he offers you life. And he leaves you with a choice. What do you do with that? If that's your question and you don't know how to answer it, this invitation time is for you. And I invite you to come down. We'll talk about it. We won't embarrass you. You're not going to, you know, anything like that. Just try to help you find the answers to the questions that beg for answers in your life. Let's stand together. Father, take this time. Use it for your